Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the Giants mobile app. Certainly appreciate everybody tuning in as we are here to recap all the latest Giants news as well as the latest going across the NFL. And a reminder, all the agreements we are mentioning on the show are not official. They are only according to reports we attribute for each player and all of them are contingent upon the players passing a physical whenever that will take place. So you got Lance Meadow and Jeff Fiegels with you for the next 60 minutes. Jeff, this is the first show that we are doing mm -hmm. in this social distancing climate. I hope all is well with you and yours on your side of things. How are we doing today? Well, we're doing good. We're definitely practicing social distance at its <laughs> best. Um, and also, I've got all, my, all but one of my uh, sons are home. Um, from school, from work. Uh, one of them is uh, sequestered in Hoboken, so okay. he's doing fine there. But uh, yeah, other than you know the the food is dwindling daily, so we <laughs> might have to make a run to the to the supermarket here sooner or later. But. Uh, everybody's doing well here and hope you're doing well too, Lance. Absolutely. I am doing well in my New York City apartment, staying away <laughs> from just about everybody else. Yeah. But I guess I have plenty of expertise in antisocial behavior. So I guess I'll be in really good That's shape. That's what I've been told. Yeah. Yes. And, and now I've heard it from the horse's mouth. So okay. it's, it's so confirmed now. So I have confirmed now. now the reports, Jeff. So you know <laughs> that I'm in good shape. The one thing I did want to add before we get into the actual football conversation mm -hmm. and before we bore our listeners to death is I'm impressed that you are up and running from a technological standpoint, Jeff. And this well, connection seems to be very smooth sailing for you. Well, listen, I, 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 I'm, I'm offended by that comment. You, I'm sorry. I, I it was understand. a little dig. My apologies. Well, a little bit, but I mean, way better than Paul Dottino. I mean, I'm a little <laughs> bit above him. Um, but actually, our, the one and only John Schmuck was able to uh, come to the house um, in his hazmat uh, suit. and <laughs> You sprayed and, him with Lysol, right, when he came <laughs> and over? Put, and it was very easy. He was able to set up our, our, uh, our whatever you call this box that we're talking on and the microphone. <laughs> it's working well, um, and it's doing well. So thank you for that comment there, Lance. I appreciate that. Anytime I can pat you on the back, mm -hmm. you know I will never hesitate from that standpoint. All right, so let's get to the meat and potatoes here with respect to the latest Giants news, and we'll recap some of the other latest transactions. But, Jeff, let's start with the newest piece, and that is the Giants and quarterback Colt McCoy have agreed to contract terms. This is according to Mike Garofolo of the NFL Network. The agreement is contingent on McCoy passing his physical, which will take place on a date yet to be determined. So they already have Alex Tanney under contract. We know Daniel Jones is the franchise quarterback, the future of that position. But I don't think it hurts to bring in another veteran, Jeff, who will likely compete with Alex Tanney mm -hmm. for the backup position. McCoy also has a great deal of familiarity in the NFC East because he spent the last six seasons with the Redskins. That's so crazy. there's that connection there as well. Yeah, I mean, you, you don't realize how many years he's actually been in the National Football League. You say six years, like, wow, okay, well, what? <laughs> but obviously, he's played a lot more games than Alex Tanney has. Um, he's started a lot more games than Alex Tanney has. And, and the bottom line here is that this is a guy with game experience, and you're looking at something that you don't want to happen um, if you're a Giants fan, and that's that Daniel Jones goes out for a significant time, and all of a sudden you've got to have a backup quarterback that comes in. Now, uh, this is a new a new coaching staff. Um, they have not uh, have no experience with Alex Tanney, um, and, and to be honest with you, they have no experience with Colt McCoy either. But experience helps, and I think that this is a guy that could could fill in for him. Um, accordingly, if Daniel Jones did get hurt. And there will be a competition for that backup quarterback position, as you mentioned. And the other thing is, is that will the, will the Giants carry three? 
Um, you yeah. know, this is a one-year deal for Cole. It's a two-year deal. I don't know exactly what was has been reported. You said it was a two-year deal. Well, we haven't given out any contract yeah. terms. It's just the but fact that they've agreed to a contract. Agreed to, to a Mike contract. Garofalo. So whatever it is, the fact the matter the the fact of the matter is, is he's going to if when he when he passes his physical and does all the stuff that you're supposed to do to sign, he you know if he's going to be the backup, there's going to be competition. And you know what? That is, goes along with everything that Joe Judge has brought to the table to this point. Is well, there's going to be competition everywhere, including the backup quarterback position. 100%. And that's a great point, Jeff, that you bring up because it goes back to some of the statements he made at yeah. his introductory presser in terms of finding the strengths of a player and gearing the scheme around that. That was a main point, plus the competition standpoint, which he then reiterated at the Combine when he and Dave Gettleman spoke to the media. He wasn't ready to declare anyone a mm-hmm. starting job. He basically yeah. said, we're all going to go into... OTAs, a training camp, and everybody's going to compete. So this pretty much falls in line with that. And I think, you know, the other thing that you noted, Jeff, it's not just necessarily something that connects to the Giants. It's something that connects to all teams across the NFL landscape. Yeah, It's hard to have a very reliable veteran backup quarterback on the roster because of salary cap restrictions, right? Because, you know, 100%. veterans cost more than a guy that you have on a rookie contract. But I feel like that somewhat is the overlooked position in the NFL because just think about this, Jeff. First of all, the Giants experienced life already with Daniel Jones missing a pair of games because of mm-hmm. the ankle injury. But how many other starters went down last season and teams all across the board had to turn to reliable backups? Well, Listen, if you have a reliable backup, how about Nick Foles a few years ago? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, and, and, and obviously they were paying him a lot of money because they, you know, they, they felt that they needed to do that and it worked for them. Now, Colt McCoy, I don't think is Nick Foles, but here's the other thing that I was thinking about from this, this uh, potential signing of, of McCoy is that look who's the offensive coordinator for the New York Giants now, who spent a lot of time in the NFC East too. That would be one Jason Garrett. So I think he has some familiarity with Colt McCoy being in the division, as you said, for six years down there in the Redskins. So um, I think that he's a smart guy. I think he brings a lot to the table. And listen, this is strictly a, uh, a move that the Giants wanted to have some competition at the backup position just in case going forward something did happen. And like you said, Lance, you know, last year for two games where Eli came back and, and, and filled in for him, um, got a one win for him, actually. And, you know, this is, this is basically what this move is all about. And that was the game against the Miami Dolphins that you're mm-hmm. referencing. Plus, just piggybacking off of your last point, Jeff, Think about what's going to go on now in that quarterback room Yeah, from a yeah. knowledge standpoint, which is what you are hammering home, because now you've got Alex Tanny and Colt McCoy, who have a wealth of experience between the two of them, to now be another voice in the ear of Daniel Jones. You've got Jason Garrett, who mm-hmm. played the position himself, in addition to now running the scheme. And then let's not forget, Shuplinski, who's going to be the quarterback's coach, is somebody also that has worked with a variety of different QBs. He was with Ryan Fitzpatrick last year in Miami, and then he was with Tom Brady previously in New England. So, you know, that to me is also, I think, what... Even Pat Shermer always emphasized when he was with the team, and I don't think it's any different with Garrett as well as Joe Judge. The setup of the quarterback room, Jeff, is just as important as what goes on on the field because of the dialogue and the film study that you're going to be looking at on a daily basis. No question. And I think when when you talk about the the depth at the position – um, from a physical standpoint and from a, a QB perspective, but the depth in that in that meeting room, 
goes a little bit further than it did last year. And and obviously with Daniel Jones being in his second season, I think that Joe Judge and Jason Garrett understand that there's still a lot that this young man has to learn. And now when you meant have you mentioned all those names that are going to be in that quarterback room, it's only going to help Daniel Jones. It's only going to make him better and understand the game and slow it down for him so that he can be successful on the field. And I also recall when Daniel Jones addressed the media a few times last season, one of the things that he brought up was the value of a player like Alex Taddy because when Eli was preparing for games, Alex could at least be somebody while Eli was focusing on other entities to get himself ready for the game. Alex could be that leaning person mm-hmm. to hold on to to say, hey, you know, this is what the scheme calls for. This is what Eli's looking at. So that's not to say that they're going to automatically, to your point, keep three quarterbacks, Jeff. But if they do, when somebody is focused on one task, you then have somebody else in the quarterback room who could perhaps help another quarterback with another thing that is on the itinerary or whatever it may be. No question. And I think that when you look at both McCoy and Tanny, we're not talking about $11 million a year. Of course We're talking about, you know, these are two valuable backups, one being a little bit more experienced from a game perspective, that being in Colt McCoy um, over Alex Tanny. So, um, you know, in my mind, I, I really, if you had to tell me, you know, I had to tell you which one I would go for, I would probably go for McCoy because of the experience factor there. But um, who knows, maybe all three of them and they could maybe afford to keep three of them because of the, the salary structure that these guys are bringing to the table. Well, Colt McCoy has had many more starts than Alex Tanney, and that's all about opportunity in the NFL, of course, Jeff, as you know. McCoy was on a team in Washington where there were a lot of injuries at the quarterback position, and more often than not, he sometimes was called in to make two to three straight starts. I actually remember a game a few years back where I believe it was a Thanksgiving Day game. He went into Dallas, and he helped the Redskins beat the Cowboys. So, you know, the big stage is nothing new to him. He played for a big program at Texas. And to your point, he's been in the league for many years. The other thing that's coincidentally part of this conversation, he was in his second year in the NFL, Jeff, in 2011 when Pat Shermer took over as the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. So, you know, we have all of these Giants ties. Sometimes (laughs) players come after a previous coach leaves. But, you know, he's been with a few teams over the course of his career. He's been with a variety of schemes. And that, to me, is something that's always beneficial because he knows how to stay ready at all times, knowing at any given moment he may have to come in. No question. And he's really has been, this has been his position throughout his career. You know, so he understands what it takes to be a backup, what it takes to prepare for a game every week, even though you're not going to play most likely. Um, But that's just, that's just the nature of the beast. And that's the requirement of that position. You got to be ready. And um, I think that they both understand that being Tanny and McCoy, that that's the situation they're going to be in daily and weekly going into the season. So according to reports, the Giants at quarterback Colt McCoy have agreed to contract terms, specifically credited to Mike Garofolo of the NFL Network. The agreement is contingent on McCoy passing his physical, which will take place on a date yet to be determined. So perhaps more competition in the QB room to battle it out for Daniel Jones' backup. 
The other recent transactions, as we shift gears to other positions, Jeff, the mm-hmm. Giants and safety special teamer Nate Ebner have agreed to terms on a one-year contract, according to NFL Network's Ian Rappaport. The agreement is contingent on Ebner passing his physical, which will take place on a date yet to be determined. Now, you and I have had multiple conversations about special teams mm-hmm. last season, throughout the offseason thus far. This is right in your wheelhouse. And when you look, first of all, at the Giants' free agent list, and you take it to consideration, okay, Michael Thomas is hitting the market right now, and you also have some other key guys that are going to be able to test the market who have contributed on special teams. Remember, as you well know, players that play other positions also get special teams reps. It's important to maintain the strength of that unit, Jeff, because the one thing you could make an argument about over the last few seasons is that has been a strength. The Giants have had a number of key players on those units, and I'm not just talking about the coverage unit, the return game as well. So a player like Ebner gets a check mark in the box to help with respect to the coverage units to make sure that in the event the Giants don't bring back their nucleus, they at least still are bringing in other players who certainly have contributed in that area. Yeah, and I think you want to, if you're going to compare, I think with transaction-wise or even player-wise, you're looking at Nate Ebner as a safety. He doesn't play safety. I mean, that's not what he's here for. Michael Thomas is your other guy a few years ago that the Giants went out and got um, from Miami. Um, he's a safety, and and he ended up playing some safety. But both of them are special teams aces. Okay, so this is just one of these things where Joe Judge familiarity with the player that was with him for a long time up in New England. That's why Nate Ebner is going to be he's going to be here eventually. That's that's the connection there. So um, you're 100 percent correct. I think that you know you're going to see a lot of things that that I like out of Joe Judge because he comes from a special teams background that he understands the importance of that third aspect of the game, offense, defense, and special teams. So, you know, and then you get a look at a guy like Cody Core, who's another guy that is, um, you know, is, was a, is a free agent. And um, a guy that, it, listen, he's, he's around the ball constantly. So there's a guy that you could have him back potentially. The other one is David Mayo. Okay, um, and another core special teams guy that the Giants want to bring back. And, you know, yeah, he can play linebacker for you in a pinch like he did. But these are core, core special teams guys. And I was asked, and I mentioned this yesterday when I was on with Paul, that somebody asked me, you know, how many, how many core special teams guys do you actually need? And you need a lot. You need a lot of those linebackers and receivers, running backs, tight ends. Those are your core guys. And these are, these, these, these are the guys that make it up. So um, it's really good to see a guy like this to come in. Nate Ebner, is a, he's, a, he's, he's a rugby player. He's a, he's a stud. The guy is tough. He's, um, he's fast. He's a good performer. And he's a great locker room guy. Something that the Giants are wanting to do is build the culture of that locker room. And this is one of the guys that's going to do it. Well, and you hit it right on the nose in terms of Ebner's connection to Joe Judge. He was with New England for so long. He was there when Joe Judge was the special teams assistant Mm -hmm. before he even took over as the special teams coordinator. So there's a great deal of history between the two. And Ebner actually is somebody that has a rugby background, Jeff, because he was actually on the U.S. Olympic team in 2016. So, I mean, this is a guy that embraces physicality, understands what it means to do the dirty work. And as you noted... While he certainly can play the safety position, if you look at his statistics and his breakdown, and I actually went back, he hasn't played more than 4% of defensive snaps in each and every season that he's been in the NFL. So they're clearly bringing him in, assuming the deal is finalized, to be that special teams guy, to be that veteran voice within that unit. But in a pinch, he does have the experience 
to come in on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and I think that, you know, that's I think you were, use the word pinch <laughs> as it would be a pinch, you know. <laughs> so I think that, you know, really you look at him as being your captain of that special teams. Um, you know, I don't know if Zach Diossi is going to be back. He's a free agent, but, you know, somebody's going to need to take over that C on their chest, and that would be Zach Diossi has held that position for a long time. So I think that this is important um, to have a guy like this in your locker room, um, a, a guy that has is a veteran in the special teams area that can teach a lot of these younger guys how to do things and do it the way Joe Judge wants to be, have it done. Now, listen, Ter- uh, McGahey, okay, Thomas McGahey and Tom Quinn, you said it at the top of the hour. Yes, both they have really good special teams. Well, they also have a really good special teams coach who's now the head coach, so you know the emphasis is going to be there. And for a team that's kind of, I don't want to use the word rebuilding, but a team that's young, that's coming in, trying to do some things and win some more football games, if you are, if you are consistently good on special teams, that's going to help you win a few games. And I think this is a building block for this team right now. Jeff, let me ask you a question in terms of the roster change and what you think it's going to do impact-wise on special teams. Because based on the new CBA, mm-hmm. they're going to go from 53 players to 55. Now, the reason I bring that up, the reaction to some NFL fans when they see a guy who is really just solely known as a special teams guy, or at least that's where he's made the biggest impact, the biggest name for himself in his career thus far, has been on special team snaps. Many people say, well, how can you delegate one roster spot when there's so many valuable roster spots to just a special teams player? The fact that teams now have the luxury to go from 53 to 55 and 46 to 48 in active game day rosters, does that now, in your opinion, do you think now teams, executives have more flexibility to say, we're not now sacrificing roster spots if we now dedicate them to specifically special teams guys. Well, I mean, you got to look at the way that those two extra spots are going to be filled, right? I mean, one of them is going to be an offensive lineman. That's what we've been told. So, yes, that offensive lineman can now play um, at least two of the positions on this on the six special teams plays that there are in the game that would be you know and, and maybe even more I mean kickoff return you need you need some linemen out there um, certainly uh, extra point and extra point block field goal block team so you can put a guy out there so the other one where does that other that other roster spot come up so it's, and it could be a receiver it's going to be one of these things that every week it's going to determine. Um, by health, and we know this, Lance, because we see all the time where guys are, you know, a healthy scratch, and you scratch your head. Well, what's going on there? Um, so there's a lot of things that are are evaluated going into the game. Um, but these two extra spots, I believe that yes, you can carry an extra special teams guy because when you look at the snaps, a lot of people don't realize how many actual snaps there are in a football game on special teams. I mean, it's typically over 40 plays a game. Okay, and an offense and a defense sometimes it's seventy, maybe maybe sometimes you get in the eighties. But so you've got to have your core guys because you can't have you know Sterling Shepard running down on punts and kickoffs and and fielding punts and saying that when he's going to be in the game for sixty something snaps too. So you've got to have to fill this roster out with guys that are specifically that way. And I think that there is a market for them now that the salary cap is going up and and then the way that things are working in the National Football League, it lends itself to the availability of some other players that may not, they can play the position for you. Now, if you remember, Lance, I think I was on the show with you. My whole take on free agency 
is to those second tier and third tier your guys that you can have them be core special teams players and also fill in for you if somebody gets hurt. Like a David Mayo. Okay, well, look at him last year. He was here as a special teams guy, legitimately. But he filled in nicely as a linebacker. Those are the free agents that I want to come in and fill this roster out. I hope that answers your question. No, it does. And to your point, when you look at what happened with Ryan Connolly and then Alec Ogletree, you're 100% uh-huh. right. Mayo yeah. was extremely valuable because they needed him from no a personnel standpoint and from just a depth standpoint. Yeah, and I think that, you know, so when your evaluation of wanting to bring a guy in, yeah, I think the first and foremost thing you look at is, it, you know, where, he, where am I going to get the production out of this guy? Well, it's going to be on special teams. Okay, so now let's segue to his ability to play the position that he is, whether it's a safety, it's a receiver, um, a tight end. You know, these are the kind of guys that you see on special teams. But are they valuable enough for us to be able to have the intangibles to play a position that if somebody was to get hurt, then he could go in and play. The perfect example of this, I mean, a hundred percent perfect example of this is Michael Thomas. Okay, he, he look at what he did. Yeah. He was brought here as an all pro special teams guy. Okay, and then he ends up playing a lot of safety for the Giants and did well. And that's exactly the evaluation and what you go through to try to bring these players up. Now, a lot of times, some of them just you know they're not the best at the position they play. But could they get? Could you use the word pinch? Can they come in in a pinch? Yeah, maybe finish a game and maybe start a game next week. Yes, they probably could do that. That's what you got to look at from an evaluation process. And that's what these scouts guys and all the personnel people do. They have a special teams grade, and then they'll have an offense and defensive grade on these guys, and they put them together and say, listen, we're going to go ahead and do this. I think when you look at the draft and, the, and you're seeing these guys in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round, these are the type of players that we're talking about right now. On a different level, though, we're going to get these guys into the league. They're going to start and get, you know, they're going to start their their careers on special teams and then segue into being a backup, a legitimate backup at their position and eventually, hopefully, a starter. I think Michael Thomas is a great example, Jeff, because when you look at what he did before he even came to the Giants, he received plenty of snaps with the Dolphins as a defensive back. It wasn't as if he was coming in and, oh, the only thing he's going to bring to the table is special teams. And you're right, injuries happen or we're seeing more and more three safety alignments in today's NFL and then Mm -hmm. players like that become starters essentially. Or Michael Thomas even has played slot corner. So Ebner... Let's not misinterpret this for our listeners. They're not just bringing him in and saying, okay, well, he will never see the field on defense. No, they feel as if, hey, if we need him on defense, we know he has the capabilities of playing safety, but we understand the main strength, the where he's made a name for himself is on special Mm -hmm. teams. And I was bringing up the numbers again, Jeff, when you were talking about, you know, how don't overlook the special team snaps that a player gets. Ebner last season, he had 318 snaps. They all came on special teams. So that was 71% of the special team snaps. Now, if you take it back a year to 2018, Ebner that season, in terms of what he contributed from a special team standpoint and a defensive standpoint, he had 329 special team snaps. So that was 73%. So he had even more special team snaps the previous year. And you do the math, you know, 16 games and, you know, let's say you're playing about 20 some odd snaps a game on special teams. You know, that adds up in the long run. Yeah, it certainly does. And you also like the kind of guys that that are healthy, that are able to give you 16 games, now going to be 17. Um, So, you know, what happens when, just like any other position, when you lose a player um, you get you have to go to your depth. 
Um, it's just as important to build your roster with depth of special teams guys. But here's the thing. Your special teams guys are your young guys, right? They're, they're, they're the ones that are the newer players. They're, they're, they're kind of just learning the game. And so what happens is, is and this is a, a classic example of the Giants a few years ago, when all of a sudden everybody on the active roster starts getting hurt and these special teams guys that we talked about are able to play a position that, you, that you've evaluated them with move up. Now, now your special teams take a hit because those younger guys don't yeah. have the experience. So this is kind of a it's a catch all where you have to understand that, you know, you are going to draft these guys and they bring the, the younger guys in. I mean, like maybe the, the first and second year guys. I mean, Michael Thomas was a veteran. He was able to he was a free agent, able to to switch teams. But, you know, some of the younger guys, they have to you got to be able to say to yourself, OK, we're going to live with some of the problems that they're going to have as a young player. But eventually they're going to grow into it. And a guy like, you know, Nate Ebner, obviously he hasn't grown into that position where they feel comfortable with him being a day day one starter, but he's going to be a guy that they can bring in and exactly what we're talking about. So um, I think it just goes to show you that the evaluation goes so much further when they're bringing these players in just, you know, just the position alone. They have to understand that these guys have to be able to play multiple, multiple positions. And your point, Jeff, about the game of musical chairs, the fluidity on special teams was really spelled out by the Giants last season because just think about this. How many times did Thomas McGahee have his weekly press conference and he was asked about, okay, the return man is now hurt. You're bringing in a new return man. What does that mean for your special teams unit? Or the defensive backs now are changing where Michael Thomas now needs to take on more defensive snaps. So what does that mean for your special teams unit? And, you know, like anything else, Thomas McGahey would say, hey, you know, this is nothing new. This is what every coordinator has to deal with when you have injuries on your team and now special teams guys have to play more of the defensive or offensive positions. You've got to now get guys ready to go, train them up in a very short period of time. That's why, you know, as you can attest to, Jeff, from playing special teams your entire career, I feel at times it's just sort of the facet of a football team that is taken for granted. Oh, you know what? We'll find a few bodies. They'll be able to run out there and make a few tackles. But, Mm -hmm. you know, there really is a science and some nuance to that part of the team. 100%. I mean, these these are positions that have to be coached well because they're technique. Special teams is all technique, okay, and scheme. Um, and if you, if you, first of all, if you don't execute the way you're you're being taught, the whole system is not going to work. There's responsibilities on a kickoff when you're running down the field. The L1, the L2, the L3, the R4, the R5. The way people are lined up, each one of those guys has a responsibility. If they take it upon themselves to just do and freelance. It's going to mess up the whole coverage team and put holes in the gaps, and then they, that's when you get that's when you get killed for a long return. So these are disciplined things that people have to be taught how to play each one of these positions. That's just one position. That's you, you're the L four on the kickoff. Okay, you are the deep safety on the kickoff return team. Okay, you are the right guard on the punt team. You are the left gunner on the punt team. I mean, see, there's this is these guys have to learn all types of different positions on special teams. So it's just not one person learning how to run down the field as a gunner, right? I mean, you look at guys like Hamilton, okay? You guys and another one, Cody Core. These guys all play multiple positions, and they they rise to the top because they're so good and agile at what they do, and they take their craft very seriously. 
You brought up Cody Core. Just a reminder, the Giants and wide receiver special team standout Cody Core have reached an agreement on a two-year contract extension. This is according to a report by the NFL Network's Tom Pelissero. So it looks good that he'll be returning. You also brought up Antonio Hamilton, Jeff. He's a free agent like Michael Thomas. So this gets mm-hmm. back to our conversation about yeah. Ebner. You hope that Core returns according to reports. And that's, of course, also based on a physical we should emphasize with Cody Core. You always need to keep an eye out for talent on the special team side that could come in in case players like Antonio Hamilton and Michael Thomas don't return. And this is where the value, as you alluded to earlier, Jeff, when you've got a head coach who specifically has a special teams background, not to say that other coaches don't value special teams, but the last thing you need to remind Joe Judge about is how important special teams is. So I I think if there's one trend that maybe we could see based on these reported transactions is Mm -hmm. special teams is definitely something in the back of his mind and Dave Gettleman's mind as they're bringing in some of these new faces. No question. Every single one of them are because they all have to play special teams. Listen, you know, you hear names of like James Bradbury and Blake Martinez, all these free agents that you hear that, you know, hopefully the Giants can sign if they pass their physical and everything goes well. The reports are that, we, that they are. The fact is that all these guys at one point in time have played special teams. Trust me. They all have played them. Okay? So don't think twice for that, that Joe Judge is not thinking that if it comes in a pinch where I need these guys, they've played them all before. I'll put them in there. You know? I think that it goes back to the Bill Belichick model of everybody's got to play. If you ever looked at the punt team on the, on the New England Patriots, there are starting linebackers and oh, people yeah. that they're on those teams. They're not afraid to play because the importance – it's a third of the game. It's 40 plays a game. If you win that aspect of it every week, you just got to usually win one of the other ones to win the game. Because we always talk about this, Lance, about winning two of the three um, components, offense, defense, special teams. You win two of them, you're going to probably have a really good chance of most of the time winning those football games. It's just like the turnover ratio that we talk about. But you've got to have an upper hand on special teams as a young team because these guys have to learn how to play them. And you know what? If your team isn't going to be really good, you want to be really good on special teams because, like I said earlier, they can win you some games, okay, whether it's a field goal, it's a great punt down and inside the five-yard line, and then your defense gets a safety, things like this that can help you win football games as a young, developing football team. And that's the Giants right now. Well, because it's so key in field position, Jeff. And when you have a young quarterback, you don't want to put him in a precarious spot where he has to put together an 80 to 90 yard drive every single possession. And also when you have a relatively young defense, specifically when you look at the secondary, you also don't want to put them in a tough spot where they only have to defend now half the field as opposed to forcing the opposition to go the length of the field. You brought up Bradbury and Martinez. Just a reminder, the Giants agreed to contract terms with free agent cornerback James Bradbury, this is according to NFL Network's Ian Rappaport. The agreement contingent upon Bradbury passing a physical, which will take place on a date yet to be determined. And the Giants have agreed to contract terms with free agent linebacker Blake Martinez. This is according to NFL Network's Mike Garofolo. The agreement contingent on Martinez passing his physical, which will again take place on a date yet to be determined. Before we shift gears to the bigger picture, Jeff, one other recent transaction I want to hit on real quickly. The Giants have agreed to contract terms with free agent offensive tackle Cameron Fleming, this is according to NFL Network's Mike Garofolo, the agreement contingent on Fleming passing his physical, which will take place on a date yet to be determined. So here's another connection, Jeff, and we always connect the dots. You've got, got Fleming, who spent the last two seasons with the Dallas Cowboys. So he was with offensive line coach Mark Colombo, offensive coordinator Jason Garrett, also was with New England, 
when Joe Judge was there. And he's the true definition of a swing tackle because mm-hmm. he could play on the left and the right side. The other thing that shouldn't be overlooked, he also has experience at guard throughout his career. So this is where you get into, hey, if Fleming wins a starting job, great. that's great. But if he doesn't, depending on how things play out, at least you know, once again, I'm going to use the in a pinch phrase for the <laughs> lack of a better term. You have somebody that can slide into multiple positions similar to a Nick Gates who is already on the roster. Well, it's similar to a Nick Gates, but also Cam Fleming has a lot more experience. Absolutely. Like we talked about the quarterback position and, and you know, Paul and I talked a little bit about him yesterday, and the fact is that he's a Stanford guy. So obviously you go to Stanford, you're a smart individual. Um, <laughs> and the guy, can he can play multiple positions without having to um, really think about things long and hard. He picks up offenses very quickly. Okay, and obviously he's been with Dallas, so this offense is going to be very familiar with him. Um, and the fact that he's going to have the opportunity, in my opinion, to get in there at the right tackle position and compete. And if it goes all well with what I want the team to do and draft a right tackle in the, in, in, the, uh, in the draft, they will compete. Whoever wins out wins the job. The other guy will be in perfect position to play any other position along that line, and, and Cam Fleming is that guy. He is a monster, by the way. He is a big dude. He's 6'6", 320 pounds. Um, he's young. He's only 27 years old. So a lot of future in this guy. But I think the familiarity that Jason Witten and Colombo have with him plays a big part of this transaction. Well, and I'm glad you brought up the familiarity again because I've said this on multiple programs, but I want to bring it up with you, Jeff, because we haven't really talked about this. We don't know what is going to take place this offseason. What I mean by that is in terms of the schedule or the yeah, access or to what's having going players on here. Yeah. Yeah, at the facility. So when you have players that already have familiarity with the scheme, that, to me, puts you slightly ahead of the curve, especially when you have a new coach, a new coordinator. When you get back on the field, let's say, hopefully, in an ideal world, come training camp, and I'm just setting up a hypothetical. We have no timeline or timetable sure. to operate under. That at least says to you, all right, we've got at least some guys already in the room who we don't have to return to the basics and can help some of the new guys who are actually learning the scheme and the system for the first time. Yeah, and this is uncharted waters as far as anything going forward um, with any NFL football team as far as getting guys together. I mean, immediately in my mind, the first thing that is is gonna is the offseason workout programs, which are always slated to start in April. That's just right around the corner. So, you know, you, and by the way, you, normally the, there's no connection. To the coaches are not allowed to meet with the players Correct. during that offseason program. I'm not 100% sure if that's changed with the new CBA or not. I have no idea. But the fact of the matter is is that that's going to most likely get delayed. And um, and even if you were had the opportunity to meet with the players because of the new CBA rule, like I said, I don't know it. But these are kind of things that you did bring up that you, you, you hit the nail on the head because – you know, if they have some familiarity with the pro with the offense, it's going to help them long term. Now, I, I also mentioned this yesterday, and I think this is really, really important. At least it is to me, and I think that as as many years as I spent in locker rooms on teams that uh, were good and were bad, I think that Joe Judge understands the importance of building locker room chemistry and having character guys in here. Cam Fleming is one of those guys. He's one of the guys that pe- they like him. That he's really a good dude, and I think that he fits in well with that locker room along with Nate Ebner. These are two guys that have that Joe Judge knows, um, and I think that he's trying to build that culture in that locker room, a winning culture. 
And I think getting guys like this are a big part of it. Yeah, when you take into consideration, he was with the Patriots and the Cowboys, and both of those teams have won consistently during his tenure. The other thing about Fleming, and this was just me thinking back in recent history, maybe a few years back, of maybe an offensive lineman that he reminds me of just in terms of his versatility. And I think of a guy by the name of Sean Locklear, who was actually with the Giants in oh, yeah. 2012. And Jeff, he was that valuable guy that he could be the swing tackle, he could play tight end in the jumbo package. I look at Fleming as somebody like Locklear, more than capable of winning a starting job, okay? I, I don't want to just pass him over and say he's got no shot to be the starter. But I think that he also has the ability that depending on how injuries and scheme plays out, you can at least feel... He's got that veteran experience. Locklear had been with the Seahawks and the Redskins before he came to the Giants, had a valuable wealth of being with a different scheme year in and year out. I look at Fleming sort of in the same lens. Absolutely. And you look at Sean Locklear, he played a lot of starters. He started some games and he was capable of doing that. And this is, this is all to me. This is a solid, solid player that is, can be a starter, but he can also be a guy that can be your versatile offensive lineman and it's just a no-brainer this is a no-brainer um to bring him in and have him be part of this Giants team in 2020 you know it's funny I'm looking through Sean Locklear's numbers and it's amazing to me if I'm correct on this Jeff you actually missed two opportunities to play with him because they both at Seattle and the Giants Yeah. yeah but you guys were not in the same spots at the same time you just missed yeah, in terms exactly. of both of those things. It's yeah, amazing. and I, I ended up uh, getting to know him a little bit. I actually found him a place to stay in Hoboken. And we were, it was funny because we were talking about our stories about Seattle and then him, I've been, you know, obviously telling him a little bit about New York area. So um, we had a lot in common other than being teammates. That's so cool. Absolutely. This is Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Lance Meadow, Jeff Fiegel's with you here. Thanks so much for tuning in. Recapping the latest Giants news as well as going around the league. And let's now branch out a little bit more as we look at the makeup of the NFC East because Giants fans are invested in the division just as much as they are with respect to what's going on with the Giants. And probably the latest transaction to me that's going to have a significant impact, Jeff, on the division is what the Philadelphia Eagles did. And according to multiple reports, the Eagles are going to acquire Darius Slay, the veteran corner from the Lions, for a third and a fifth round pick in 2020, Slay is somebody that actually coincidentally worked with Jim Schwartz, their defensive coordinator in Philly, because when Slay was a rookie, Schwartz was the head coach in Detroit in 2013. So they crossed paths for a season. And as we have talked about year in and year out with these Eagles matchups, you look at the Philly defense, the Philly defense is very strong up front. They've got a rotational group of defensive linemen, but I would say if there's any Achilles heel to that defense, it's the secondary, and Slay now fills a major void that has been an issue for them over the last few campaigns. Well, once again, we talk about familiarity, right? I mean, here is a classic example of a guy that you know knows the system, right? So you got Schwartz and you got Slay. Now, how many times am I going to screw this up when I say Darius Slay 10? Correct. Right? It's going to be there. I'm just going to warn you now. It's going to happen sooner or later, but today it's not. I'm going to concentrate on this. But the fact of the matter is is that, you know, the Eagles, when you look at it, Lance, they wanted Byron Jones. That was the big thing. They wanted him, but they just they lost out on it. But, you know, to me, I think this is a better signing. Uh, than Byron Jones. I think that, you know, Slay, three consecutive Pro Bowls. I think he's a better player than Byron Jones. I really do. Um, And you mentioned that, you know, I I think he is an elite corner. 
and now he's in the NFC East. Thank you very much. Um, the fact is, is that, you know, <laughs> the, the Eagles are very healthy when it comes to pass rush, and this is just going to do some good things for them. Um, and the contract was good value. I mean, you look at uh, what these guys are getting paid this year, and um, I think it's going to be a really good fit for him. Um, and, and really, when you think about that secondary, We've talked about, you know, how they've been moved. They're moving Jalen Mills to safety and Rodney McLeod. Um, they signed him and he's going to play safety, according to reports. Excuse me. But yeah, which the, is pretty much his main position. Exactly. So yeah. now you kind of they shirt up that safety position, which now they're concentrating on the um, the cornerback position. So this is a good signing for them. And, um, you know, I, I think that he's a quality and I think he's an elite player. I really do. I would agree with you. Plus, when you compare him to Jones, now Jones has the versatility to play corner and safety. So mm-hmm. maybe there's a little bit more value there in terms okay. of flexibility. But when you look at the statistics and the specific opportunistic plays, Jeff, you're 100% right. Slay yeah. is so much more that he brings to the table because, I mean, we're talking about a player that has had at least two interceptions in each of his seasons with the exception of his rookie year. So that adds yeah. up to 19 picks, including eight in oh. 2017. Jones doesn't come anywhere near that type of production. Not, not even. And I also think, you know, this is a big upgrade. Um, when you look about probably the, the last quality player, if it's me, Asante Samuels comes to my mind. Um is probably the the last really good cornerback that, that I think that the Eagles had had. Um, and also remember the, the, the Eagles lost Malcolm Jenkins. So yeah. this makes their lot this loss just a little bit you know, easier for them. Okay? So now that you get a guy like Darius Slay and uh again, I think he he's a he's a ball hawk, he's around the football. Um he sounds like a good dude. I know he's had some problems, but if you read some of the reports and some of the articles coming out of Detroit and some of the things that happened with him and Matt Patricia, um some of them are pretty disturbing if you ever read about it, but the fact is that um I feel like, you know, it was a good move for him to get out of there. Well, if you read into those stories and reports, you're right. I think the writing was on the wall that both parties had to go their separate ways. And there was even some speculation that the Lions may have traded him around the trade deadline last year when they actually parted ways with Quandre Diggs, one of their other secondary members in Detroit, and sent him to Seattle. So I don't think this was necessarily a stunning development, as you alluded to, that Slay was moved. But I'm glad you brought up Malcolm Jenkins because Jenkins is actually a significant loss for Philadelphia. He was the glue guy, Jeff, Mm -hmm. on the back end for so many years. He's heading back to New Orleans, the team that originally drafted him. So that's why it was so important for them to think about moving Jalen Mills to safety so that you bring in then Slay at corner because – Similar to the Giants, outside of Darius Slay, between Avante Maddox, Sidney Jones, and Rasul Douglas, who were their three other corners, a lot of youth there, and the injury bug just hammered that position oh, last Darby. year. I mean, it was a revolving door. They had to bring guys in off the street. Now, mm-hmm. you're not hoping for any team that to happen again the following season, but it certainly has disrupted the development of all of those guys. So if you say, hey— Slay's going to be on one side. We feel good. Then at least it could give Jim Schwartz and the Eagles defense an opportunity to be flexible and experiment on the opposite side of things. Well, I think that, you know, Schwartz loves to blitz. He loves to get after the quarterback, and he's going to have a lot more. um, He can sleep well at night knowing that (laughs) Slay's going to be out there on the corner, probably on the best one of their best receivers. So that makes it a little bit easier on him. Now, in terms of the rest of the division, the Dallas Cowboys have lost a lot of talent. Jason Witten, Malik Collins, Jeff Heath, two of those guys on the defensive side of the ball going to the Las Vegas Raiders. But 
Interestingly, they've done a pretty good job filling some of those voids by bringing in some established veterans. Gerald McCoy comes in as a defensive tackle to replace Malik Collins. You can maybe argue that's an upgrade. And then late last night, they added HaHa Clinton Dix, who mm-hmm. was with the Packers with Mike McCarthy last yep. year. He was with the Redskins, so somebody who's familiar with the division. He was also, excuse me, last year with the Bears, the Bears I should yeah. say. The previous year he was with the Redskins. So, like me now. you know, they seem to be saying, okay, we're losing some of the guys that have been here for a number of years, but at least we're turning to veterans on what seems to be really good financial deals and taking a chances that these guys are going to pan out and help solidify some of the holes that presented themselves recently. Well, no question. And I think a big part of free agency is not only going out and getting other players, but it's also signing your own guys. Yeah. And so, and the Cowboys have done a really good job at this. When you start to look at the names um, that have surfaced, that, 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 you know, according to reports that they have re-signed these guys. I mean, Sean Lee is another guy, okay, that they have, re, you know, um, reportedly. Let me just show you some of these names. Darian Thompson, a guy that we know yep. really well, um, played last year for them, started four games was able to, put, to agree with them to get him back. Anthony Brown is another cornerback that we have heard about. We've seen him play. Um, the big one for me is that when I was doing a little bit of research on the Cowboys today, they're going to have all four of their linebackers back, okay? Um, Joe Thomas is another one that they're bringing back, um, and he can play all three positions. Talk about you know availability and being able to be able to, to – to in a pinch as we use that word today fill in for anybody <laughs> that's but the word of the show <laughs> that's the word of the show the other one is joe looney who you know when you think about i i kind of thought that this was this was going to be a giant signing in my opinion because of the connection right the you know the connection with dallas and and i feel like the, the center position is something that the giants need to upgrade this guy could have been him but unfortunately that's not going to happen now so um and hey let's not forget about the kickers right uh, Forbath is their kicker is gonna is gonna come back for the cup. So they like I said, Lance. They not only are they signing other guys like McCoy, who by the way he can play the edge too. He can take uh, Robert Quinn's place over there if they need him. He's very versatile to be able to do that. Um, I think again the familiarity with Haha Clinton Dix with McCarthy that you got that going. So um, you know the other thing too, real quickly about I forgot to, we forgot to mention when we were talking about Aldrick Rosas. Okay, the the tender that they the Giants gave him. Um, and if that goes through, that's going to be a good one. I think that he's on going to have a bounce back year too. So, um, and it's kind of funny, Lance, I'm rambling on here, looking at the, who the Cowboys have lost. Um, Randall Cobb is another guy. Um, you know, and then the other one is we, we mentioned earlier is Byron Jones, but you know, don't forget about Robert Quinn leaving there too, going, yeah. he's supposedly going to the bears. So a lot of, Oh, and then Witten, what's up with Witten? I mean, seriously, I'm glad to get him out of here. You know that, <laughs> you know, but I mean, I, I mean, I, from the booth back to the, to the Cowboys and then going to the evil empire over there in the Raiders going to Vegas. I just can't see Jason Witten hanging out in Vegas, but I guess he will be. Well, I think it's so weird that Jason Witten is going to be wearing a new uniform. Phillip yeah. Rivers is going to be wearing a new oh. uniform as well as Tom Brady because <laughs> earlier today the Bucks made it official that Brady's going to sign a two-year deal. And the three things that all of those guys have in common is they're all established veterans, they've all been synonymous with one team, and they have all been with those respective teams for at least 16 seasons. So it's remarkable, Jeff, that yeah. all of that movement occurred in the same offseason in which all of those guys have now changed uniforms for the first time. 
It really is. And it's going to be, it reminds me of the old days when I was, you know, when Joe Montana went from the 49ers to the, um, to the Chiefs. That just didn't look right. You know, and I don't think that there's going to, guys, people are going to be looking at these players that we're talking about and it's just not going to look right. Of course, you know, I don't know how, which one of these guys is going to play the best. I would imagine that Tom Brady would be the guy that's going to be probably the best of these, of the three that we just talked about. But I can tell you this, sometimes, you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side, but sometimes it is. And I, and you look at a case at all three of these guys that you mentioned, you know, they've been in one place for a long time. And sometimes it is a little bit of a breath of fresh air to go somewhere else and, and really see how uh, things are done in a different way, whether you like it or not. But, you know, I, I look at the way that I did. I mean, I spent five years in Seattle. I really liked it. It wasn't 16, but five was enough to be able to come to the Giants. And I was, you know, luckily enough to play seven years here. So and it was good. I enjoyed it. So a lot of good can come from these things. Um, and when you look at Tom Brady, OK, he's in the NFC now. Um, that's going to be interesting. Um, <laughs> uh, we get Witten out of the division. That's a good one. And really, oh, we don't by the care. way, the Giants are playing the Bucks this season too. I should add. Oh, that's right. Okay, so there you go. And is that a home game? I hope. Yes, I hope. that is a home game. All right, so we could, we're going to be able to watch that one live, Lance. You and I. <laughs> Indeed. So that's good. Well, if that's the way to spin it, Jeff, I'm with you. <laughs> okay, yeah, I hope so. And I mean, it, the way that we're going now, we just hope that the correct you know, that fingers the game crossed. Goes. So yeah, exactly. Yes. But to, to answer your question, I, I have. <laughs> confirmed the upcoming opponents and uh, the Bucks are on the schedule and they will be a home game at MetLife Stadium. That's great. That's good. Well, um, it'll be interesting. I, I, I would imagine that that game will be sold out. Um, I think no that's a what. fair, safe assumption. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but all the New England fans are now crying that their Tom Brady has left the building. And Well, um, it's going to be very interesting where they go with the quarterback position right now, Jeff. I think you know everybody's yeah. focusing on what Brady does for Tampa Bay. Well, let's see now what New England chooses to do. They drafted Jarrett Stidham last year, mid-round pick. Could they trade for a guy like Andy Dalton from the Bengals? That's perhaps an option. Could they go after Cam once he becomes available, since most people assume the Panthers are going to be forced to release him if they don't find a trade partner. You know, th there's a lot of unknown there with New England. I will say this. Whether Brady's there or not, Jeff, with Belichick and his track record, while I love the Buffalo Bills and I think Buffalo did an outstanding job last season and they deserve to be considered a heavy favorite, I would not be so quick to count the Patriots out just so quickly there because I, I think with Belichick and some of the tricks he has up his sleeve, this yeah. was not a stunner that Brady left. They, I believe, had ample time to map out what they want to do there. I agree, but I, I think that, you know, Tom Brady, is he brings a lot to the table. I'm just, you know, certainly we're going to be able to find out if that's true. Um, but, you know, I just, when you look at the quarterbacks that are out there, you know, another one to look at, and I, I don't know if this would ever happen, but, you know, reading the reports that Joe Flacco had failed his physical and they released him. I mean, could that be a guy that could go up there? I mean, you know, I, I just, you know, I don't know. I just don't. I just don't know. I, I feel like the Patriots can make enough plays on offense, defense, special teams to win games because just they're the Patriots and they're coached well. But you know, Tom Brady did bring a lot to that position. Um, and but but let's look at his production over the last three years. It hasn't been great. It's been going down every year. So um, we'll see. I don't really care. Well, of course, I'm not telling you to lose sleep over it, but the point <laughs> you brought up, Jeff, and I haven't considered Flacco. Flacco's actually an interesting one. I would definitely add him to the list, considering yeah. he's a proven veteran and had been in the AFC for many years, so maybe they want to take a flyer on him for a year. But with respect to your point about the production dip, 
there's no doubt about that, but I think that's also a reflection of how the talent pool around Brady has changed. I mean, think about it. Gronkowski retired. He didn't have yeah. his tight end. He was relying on a very young receiving core with Jacoby Myers and Nikhil Harry, who they drafted in the first round that he turned out to miss the most of last season. You look at also the revolving door on the offensive line. Few guys were hurt even before the season started, so they had to make changes there. And once again, this is not to say that it's all excuses for Tom Brady, but it goes back to the conversations, Jeff, that we had about Eli Manning and any other quarterback. The quarterback is not on an island, which is a phrase I always say. And the reason I say that is because while everybody just wants to look at those numbers separately from the rest of the team, it's unfair to do that when the quarterback is at the mercy of the talent and protection around him. So if we're going to treat Tom Brady like that, then we certainly have to treat every other quarterback like that. 100%. I mean, I think that that was the talk that everybody had around Eli Manning, like you said. I mean, that's, 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 the, that's the thing. But um, I feel like the Patriots, for somehow in some way, they can, they can rebound from this. I mean, it's, I, I just think it's just the way they are. When I look at Tom Brady, talk about talent around you. A little scary what they got over there in Tampa Bay. Very scary, yes. <laughs> Although, you know, we looked at how scary the roster was in Cleveland. Correct. Good <laughs> but, point. You know. No, and that's why I don't think anyone should be crowning anybody based on the paper test. Your point is well taken. But if you to compare New England versus Tampa Bay and the talent pool that he's working with, it's apples and oranges as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, Tampa Bay, uh, Bruce Arians, I think there's just, you know, Tom Brady was not going to go somewhere where there wasn't going to be a good relationship with the head coach. You know, I mean, so I look at, at Bruce Arians and his track record with aging quarterbacks like yep. one Tom Brady been pretty darn good. And then all of a sudden, I think Tom Brady is just licking his chops as far as the personnel around him, um, you know, going down there and seeing how he's going to be able to just get the ball to some of these guys and, and they're just going to make plays for them. So it's going to be good. It's going to be good. It'll be interesting to watch. Well, you bring up a great point about Arians. It's many veteran quarterbacks that have thrived under his watch. Ben Roethlisberger, Carson Palmer late in his career. I mean, you even look at what he did when he was the Cleveland offensive coordinator with Kurt guys Warner. like Kelly Holcomb. Yeah. So, you know, he's had a vast array of QBs, Jeff, to your point that he's worked with. And more often than not, you know, they've done more than just flash. So I think that's encouraging. And I also think Brady's going into an offensive scheme where, you know, they're going to let him do his thing. It's not as if he's going to come in and he's going to have to adjust to what they do. Clearly, there's going to be a give and take, but I think that Arians has been around the league long enough to say, okay, Tom, what do you want to do? What makes you comfortable? Sure. How do you want to utilize some of this personnel? And I'm sure they're going to implement that. You know, Lance, you talked a little bit about it earlier. And, you know, with the coronavirus and all the postponement of things going on, the NFL is uncharted territory as far as things going forward, right? So we bring back this experience thing. This is going to be really big because I feel like someone like Tom Brady with all the experience in the world, there isn't a defense he hasn't seen, the way he prepares. He's going to be able to go into a system, new system down there and be okay. Now, on the flip side of this, when you talk about New England and you're going to need to get it, you have a young quarterback there that supposedly is going to be your guy unless they bring in someone like, you know, a Cam Newton or Joe Flacco or anybody like that. Then we start to talk about the experience factor. This is going to be a big deal talking about experience going forward to some of these 
older veteran guys that may get another shot at playing some of these on some of these other teams as free agents because of the experience factor, because of of what's going to happen with pushing back of offseason programs and OTAs. And because that's when it all happens, you know, all that stuff is implemented early so that when they go to training camp, they hit the run, the, 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 the road running. They don't have to put input all this stuff and do install. They do all that before. So if you've got an experienced player who maybe you feel like this guy can really learn the system, he already knows the system, this could be an asset by signing this guy, knowing that this is what could happen. 100 Does that make sense? No, 100%. That's why I brought that up earlier yeah. in the show, that I think the offseason schedule can't be dismissed. And not to say this is going to be a negative for the Giants, just to bring it back to the Giants here, Jeff, but... You know, the Giants right now, I'm sure Joe Judge is saying to himself, I just became a head coach for the first time in his career, and now I've got to deal with this, where we may be dealing with an offseason that I'm not going to have all of my players in the same spot at one time during the yeah. most critical point of the offseason, to your point, Jeff, the offseason program. And, yeah. you know, coaches, I think, are going to have to get very creative in terms of utilizing technology to communicate with players once the OTA period starts in order to, you know, get them to know this is what we want to do. Hey. This is how we want you to work out while you're away from the team. But listen, uh, yeah, how are you going to work out away from the team? Well, listen, at the gyms are closed. Yeah. They, so, I mean, you're, you're going to go back to, um, you know, the old days where, <laughs> I mean, you're going to be doing push-ups and sit-ups and pull-ups and, you know, get those bands out and do all these kinds of things because, you know, I'm just telling you because of my son, Zach, who's at Rutgers. I mean, they just they have no, no spring game, no spring practices this year. And they just came out of their mat drills, all the conditioning stuff that they, they get in shape for when they're going to go into spring practices. Well, those are gone. So we're at home doing all kinds of stuff. And this, this makes a difference. It really does. And I think that, you know, also as a young coach and a first time head coach, you get extra mini camp. Yeah. You get extra practice. Well, you get like to that. start OTAs a week earlier. That's right. So these are all things that you're sitting there going, Joe Judge is sitting there. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is what I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be on the same page as everybody else. And I'm, I'm, you know, it just, it just stinks because now I should have had an extra mini camp. I should have had this. I should have had that. But, you know, it looks looking the way it's going. It's probably not going to have that, but um, who knows, but we'll see what happens. I think that this is where um, technology kicks in and you can have, uh, you know, virtual meetings with where like all yeah. the kids are doing their online classes. You can certainly do that with players and, and coaches can have that type of communication, but the on, on the field stuff was, which is the, the bread and butter of your technique work and all your fundamental stuff. That's going to be compromised. Lance Meadow, Jeff Fiegel's with you here on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Before we close up shop with a few questions off of Twitter, Jeff, the one other thing that I wanted to bring up from a national storyline standpoint, Todd Gurley was released by the Rams. They also parted ways with veteran linebacker Clay Matthews, and Gurley wasn't on the market for very long because this morning we received word that he has reportedly agreed to a deal with the Atlanta Falcons, and Gurley has had knee issues. This, to me, though, was also a financial move by the Rams. You know, they had cap issues. They needed the flexibility as they sure. looked to go in a different direction. But Atlanta is one of those teams that brings us back to the Tampa Bay conversation as well as the Cleveland conversation from last year. You look at Atlanta again on paper, Jeff, and you say, okay, you got Matt Ryan at quarterback. You bring in Todd Gurley at running back. You've got Julio Jones. You've got Ridley at the other wide receiver position. You just acquired Hayden Hurst at tight end from the Baltimore Ravens. Wow. I mean, on paper, Jeff, yeah. they should be able to light up the scoreboard. But 
you know, then all of a sudden you move past the offensive weaponry and you say, okay, well, the offensive line is still a question mark. The defensive pass rush is still a question mark. And the injury bug is still a question mark. So this is another example of while I like Gurley going back home to Georgia. I like the fact that he'll have an opportunity to be surrounded by talent and a veteran quarterback in Atlanta. But you just can't judge a team based on the paper test because in reality, play in the trenches, play on defense is just as important as as many offensive weapons that you have on that side of the ball. Man, if I'm Atlanta, I'm happy to have Todd Gurley on my team, but I'm also looking for another running back that is going to be able to play if he's hurt because he gets hurt a lot. Oh, that's a good you point. Know? So I think that um, you know him going back there is 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 good for him, his family, and um, I don't know what the financial terms were uh, all about, but I know that it was probably something that he was looking at when they got the idea that he was going to get released. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, you can't, you cannot, you can always look at it and the fans do, and we all do look at things on paper, like we're playing Madden or fantasy Um, football. Exactly. But this is just not the, the, and it even goes even further when you start talking about the off season program and getting these guys together. These are all new people. Um, and they have to learn a system and they have to not only, so the X's and the O's and getting in the, in the playbook. These guys are football players. This is—it's just terminology is different. It's still running the football. It's still blocking. It's still passing. What happens? You got to get familiarity with each other. You got to be able that offensive lineman's got to gel, as we always talk about, right? You got to get timing now with 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 Ryan throwing the ball in the flat to Todd Gurley. He hasn't done it before. So these are things that these guys have to learn, and this is why the offseason program becomes so important. Because OTAs and mini camps and throwing after practice, things like that, where these guys are out there um, throwing and, and getting, you know, um, you talk about like when, when Eli Manning used to take his guys down over there to Duke. That's what that's all about. I mean, that's all learning timing and, and getting to throw to these guys and understanding their, their mannerisms when they're coming out of breaks. I mean, some guys are different. So these are all things you have to work on. But if you're not going to be able to do it, it's not going to be that easy just going in there and playing the game on Sunday without a lot of work. No, I think all valid points, Jeff, that you bring up. And you know, the other thing, just as a real side note here in terms of Todd Gurley, they released Devontae Freeman a few days ago. So the Falcons needed at least a starting running back. But to your point, I don't think it alleviates the necessity to either draft somebody or have somebody ready to go because you can't just assume that Gurley's going to be able to hold up for 16 games. All right, let's close up the program by answering some Twitter questions. Clearly, those of you tuning in, unfortunately, we're not able to take phone calls, but we still want to keep the interactive part of the program. So we're fielding Twitter questions, and we want you to send them in continually using hashtag GiantsChat, or you can reach out to us individually, such as Jeff and I on Twitter, and we'll feel free to add you to the list as we try to hammer out a few questions each and every show. So this one comes from John, Jeff, and he writes the following. Based on the recent transactions, doesn't this put emphasis on drafting an edge rusher with the first pick, and wouldn't this raise the interest in Clemson edge back linebacker Isaiah Simmons in terms of the draft? Well, I think that, again, this is something that we all talk about as far as, you know, where does the team rank these guys as far as need and how they rank them as far as, you know, their 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 ratings. Okay, I've told this. We've talked about this. Paul and I have discussed this. I am an offensive line guy. I'm not going to be disturbed at all if they if they all of a sudden they draft Simmons because I feel like they could use him just as much as they could use a, a, a starting right tackle 
for 10 years. I think that you're going to get, but yes, I mean, listen, there has the, the edge market has dried up free agency wise. So to me, this could be an indication that that may be where they're going. I don't think they will, but it, it wouldn't surprise me. Well, here's the thing to take into consideration, Jeff. Marcus Golden is still a free agent, and the longer he's out there, I don't know. Maybe that helps the Giants if they are actually interested in bringing him back. Remember, he had a career year. He was extremely productive last season. Clowney's still out there as well. Okay, so let's not lose sight. I still think it's early in the free agent game to make bold declarations that if we read between those lines, we absolutely know where they're going to go in the draft. And here's the other thing, Jeff, that I think is important to note. Who's to say that just because they address a position in free agency that they can't then address that position again in the draft because it goes back to depth. So I never read too much into free agency. However, I will say this. If the Giants don't bring back Marcus Golden and maybe don't make a huge signing in the pass rushing department, that still remains a need. So whether they wait for the second wave of free agency or they utilize the draft, I would think at some point, Jeff, I don't think it's a stretch to say that the Giants are going to want to bring in some type of a proven player that at least can line up on the edge and get after the quarterback. Yeah, I mean, you have to, right? Because you lost 10 sacks. You're going to have to try to make up somewhere for that, right? I mean, I think that, you know, and and believe me, I think the Giants are sitting there telling themselves, listen, you know, we know what Marcus Golden is worth in our eyes. We probably told them this um, and that if if nothing happens, we'll take you back. Uh, That happens all the time in free agency. Trust me. They let these guys hit the road and they tell them, listen, if you go find more, God bless you. If not, we'll give you this. And sometimes the players... You know, you got to be careful of that because you come back and they say, oh, you know what? <laughs> now we don't have as much to offer you We don't have as much to offer you anymore. Because we signed we other as- guys. Exactly. So um, I actually kind of wish they did it opposite. I wish they did the draft first and then free agency second. I know that would never happen. Um, but the fact is that because then you kind of understand where they're going to address things in the, in, the, in the draft first. And then you'd be able to fill them in with those players later. But that would, it will never happen. I know that. It's just wishful thinking. Um, but, again, it's, just, it's something that I agree with you, Lance. It's hard to understand the thinking behind these teams um, until, you know, but I tell, I tell you this. You can follow it a little bit, Lance, by the, the amount of money that the teams have left. It kind of goes to show you where, okay, you know, like the Giants, if they'd had X amount of money to spend in free agency and you look and you line up, all the you connect all the dots with the free agents, the potential ones that they've said that they were going to sign, you know, there's only X amount of dollars left. Well, that may not equate to getting a clowny because you don't have that much money left. Now, we do know that because the CBA, you now can restructure things going forward with dead money and things like that. So you can always find money. You can always find money. It's just a matter of how much, right? Absolutely. Okay. I wish and you and you I could see find guys money. get cut sometimes. <laughs> June first designations, remember? Yeah. You know that changes the Those game. Those are all back on the table now because they weren't before. What, when this is an expiring CBA, if you remember, there was no June first cuts anymore. As far as you know, piling money on the back end of things. Well, the dynamics have completely changed, and we were also in the land of the unknown for a variety of 
time because of the fact that we didn't know whether or not they were going to operate under the old or the new CBA. Your point about the draft order versus yeah. free agency, I agree with you. You go to the NBA, it makes sense. The reason why I think it's wishful thinking in the NFL is, Jeff, yeah, I just, just never see the NFL Players Union agreeing <laughs> to that timeline because think about this. With non-guaranteed contracts, the veterans, they want to be able to cash in before no they then lose out on opportunities because you're already invested in rookie contracts. And that's why I said it would never happen. Yeah. It just makes more sense to me. Absolutely. Um, and I think I've mentioned this to you before and you brought it up where the, where the NBA does that, but there's not as many players so that you can get away with it. Right? 100%. You do yeah. the math. You're dividing up the whole pool with much less players than you are in terms of the NFL. This comes from Sharon in New York. Signing defensive personnel and free agency, I think it leaves the door open for them to sign an old lineman with the there fourth go, overall Sharon. pick. And then she tacks on, did Washington tag Brandon Sheriff? And yes, to answer your question, Sharon, the Redskins did give the tag to Brandon Sheriff. So he right now is not free to entertain other offers as a full free agent. As far as her point about, well, if you go after defensive personnel in free agency, does that make it more attractive to go after an old lineman with the fourth overall pick? Well, Jeff, it goes back to your point. But once again, I would not preface it by saying, with the Giants looking like they're attacking the defense in free agency, even if they attack the offense in free agency, I would still say it's a viable option to go after an offensive lineman with the fourth overall pick. Okay, that's good. But I really believe, and we don't know this, until Dave Gettleman tells me or you what their philosophy is upstairs. Okay, so do teams draft on need? Some do. Do teams draft on uh, how they have their players ranked? I think a majority of them do. They take the top whatever players there are on their board, and as they go off, the next one moves up. Okay, so when the Giants are picking at number four, or they've, they've traded a couple things for down their number six, or whatever it is they go, I believe that the Giants are the type of team that's picked the best player available. Okay, here's where you here's where things get a little bit hairy. Do they have do they have a Simmons and the other offensive lineman all ranked the same? You know, that's when you yeah. kind of got to get so. And there, there may be the way that they do their formula, and they got to come up with something, right? Because none of them can all be ranked the same. But I think maybe they are, and then maybe becomes a need. Right. But I feel like the Giants are the type of people that are going to rank all these players. And as they come available, they're going to go right down the line or they're going to cross them off as somebody else drafted them. And by the way, there's a good chance that Simmons or one of those offensive linemen are going to be there at number four if the Giants stay there for the way things are shaping up. And we're just, you know, if you read it every day, the mock draft 9,463 that come through, <laughs> I mean, these change all the time. But in my opinion, I think they'll have a chance to get either one of those Simmons or an offensive line at number four. Yeah, I would agree with you. I, I think they should be in good position, especially mm -hmm. if Joe Burrow does go to the Bengals number one. Okay, so that's taking a quarterback off the board. That's not impacting the defense or the yep. offensive line. So then it's a matter of, okay, well, what do the next two teams do? Well, and Chase Young is going to be the Redskins in the line. Guy. So yeah. if Chase Young goes off the board, to your point, do does Detroit now have an urgency to go after Jeffrey Okuda from Ohio State at corner well, they because they, they lost Slay? Slay. Yep. Okay, so so that would make sense. So maybe two of the next teams take defensive players. So, okay, you're still then having some viable defensive players, and not one offensive lineman would have gone off the board at that point. So Correct. to your point, I agree with you there, Jeff. Yeah, and also, you know, you got teams that are trying to get up there and get some quarterbacks. You know, Tua, yeah. you got Herbert. So um, you got some guys there, you know, teams like the Chargers, the teams like the Dolphins. Um, there was even one today I, I read earlier before we came on that the Charger, excuse me, that the um, – 
the Bengals were going to trade out a number one with Miami. Can you imagine? <laughs> I well, mean, the Dolphins do need a quarterback, yeah, but, but I I'm just saying, can't see Cincinnati passing up an opportunity. Well, to I mean, Burrow. the Dolphins have three number one draft picks, yep. according to that. So, you know, this this is where those things become three for one, right? I can get three for one, three number one picks for one player. Um, so I think that this is something you got to look at. But the fact of the matter, what we're talking about is that the Giants are going to be pretty healthy at number four to whoever they want. And it's just, man, if I could just ask the question to Dave to tell me what they do, then I can give you the answer. <laughs> In an ideal world, don't we wish we had all the answers? Yes, it'd Let's be so much easier. Let's up with this last question, which actually relates to what you and I are just talking about, the quarterback situation. And before I get to the question, one other thing that I just wanted to add to what you said Hey, if Cincinnati doesn't think that there's a significant drop-off between Joe Burrow and another quarterback, then I would agree with you, Jeff. That trade actually may make sense because then you're not moving down immensely with Miami's spot. You can still draft a quarterback, and you have two additional first-round picks to address other needs. So the more and more I think about it, maybe it's not as crazy as most people think. But this relates to the quarterback situation in the draft. Rich asks, outside-the-box question, which we always love here. If the Giants can't find a trade-back partner in the draft because the teams close behind them in the draft order believe that they can wait to get their guy since they assume the Giants won't take a QB, is there a reason that the Giants shouldn't take Justin Herbert or whomever is still there, and offer him to the highest bidder. Worst case scenario then being that nobody makes a quality offer, so they have another young QB to compete with DJ at training camp and then have the option of trading the loser of the competition. I think that's a lot of assumptions being taken place by the part of the person who's asking that question. And I don't like drafting a player because of what you think is going to happen on the trade market, Jeff. Then I think you get in very dangerous territory. You're not helping your team from an immediate need standpoint. And then what happens if nobody wants the player or is not willing to give you what you want in return? And what happens if you go into training camp with that player and he gets hurt? Now you're stuck with him, That's right? That's a great point. Because so now other, all of a sudden he doesn't have nearly as much value. He's damaged goods, right? Yeah. So the other thing is I'm, I, want, I, want, I want game day production here. And I mean game day being the draft day. Give me drop. Give me my picks. Here's your guy. Okay. If you want to come up and get him, then I need some picks. And I want my draft capital, as we say. I, I feel like in, the Giants are so, in such a great position to do this. Now, I would not trade out of the top ten at all. I mean, but I think you can still get some good. Listen, the Giants don't have a third round pick other than that compensatory late third round pick. I would imagine the Giants would love to get up there in the top of the third round, late second round somehow by just going down a few ticks because I think that there's a big drop between the time the Giants are done with their second round pick to that compensatory pick at the way at the third, third, third round. They need to get someone in there because there's a lot of really good players in there. No, all valid points, Jeff. I'm completely with you in terms of when you give up your spot at number four overall and you have guys high on your board that are all in the ballpark of saying, hey, they come in year one, we expect them to give us a significant impact, significant Mm -hmm. return, and then years beyond that. Yeah, you've got to weigh the risk of that. And here's the other thing related to this hypothetical 
that was laid out on Twitter, Jeff. The yeah. only way you draft Justin Herbert is you already have a deal in place with another team. 100%. And that's the guy that they want. Similar to when Ernie Accorsi and the Chargers did the Eli Manning-Philip Rivers right. swap, right? And right. they spoke to the Chargers. They said, all right, you're going to take Eli for us. We're going to take Philip Rivers for you. And then you make the trade. You right. never make a deal like that unless you have a signed, sealed, and delivered deal or transaction in place. No Period. question. And again, it just goes on. You want to have you want to have a full safe plan, right? I mean, it's going to have to work for both teams. Um, you don't want to you know, sit in there getting caught with your, you know, I mean, listen, you do not want to be blindsided by something where all of a sudden you're like, whoops, this we messed this one up. Now we got we got two two quarterbacks here and you got one guy that's going to sip. You're going to have the so now we have to go all over again. We got to have this QB competition. You know, we don't want this. Our quarterback is Daniel Jones. We've said that. Um, but you know, who knows new coaching staff, new everything, right? But who, but I don't think this would happen. It's a good hypothetical. It's a great question. Um, but you, I, I agree with you. You got to have something in place before you did something like this. Well, and we never shy away from an opportunity to think outside the box on That's Big right. Blue Kickoff It's Live. fun. It's That's fun right. to talk about. That's why Absolutely. we're here. And this is the time of the year where you're supposed to talk about these things. So yep. we certainly yep. appreciate everybody who sent in questions. And as we said, we will continue to answer as many as we can on each and every edition upcoming of Big Blue Kickoff Live. A reminder, all the agreements that we had mentioned on this show, at least as it relates to the Giants, are not official. They are only according to the reports we attribute for each player, and all of them are contingent upon the players passing a physical whenever that will take place. Big Blue Kickoff Live will be back up and running on Monday once again. We'll continue to have a program for you on a daily basis as we get you caught up on the latest Giants news as well as discuss all of the latest transactions across the league, and we'll get more into the draft as we inch closer to that event coming up in April Likely, though, under very different conditions than we had anticipated a few months ago. Well, Jeff, I always enjoy the back and forth, and I look forward to doing it in a social distancing environment <laughs> on an it's upcoming It's all good, program. Lance. Absolutely. I'm glad, we were, I'm glad we were able to put something like this together on such short notice. We thank everybody for tuning in and uh, continue to listen to Big Blue Kickoff. Absolutely. That is going to wrap up Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. For Jeff Fiegels, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Friday and always stay locked to Giants.com in the mobile app. Have a good one.